Thoughts and Signs podcast hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Kumesi and SNS Barbell Owner and Coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various powerful topics in detail and use real-life examples to help you better understand key concepts. Welcome to Squats and Science Podcast, Episode 19. This is Coach Joe, and I'm with Coach Arian. How's it going, man? What's going on? Just uh, relaxing here at home. Yeah. Where else would you be relaxing? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not out at the beach or anywhere in public. Nah, other than going out like once a week for groceries and maybe once or twice like drive through or something, I'm not going out for anything else. Yeah, especially in Florida. <laughs> yeah, it went from uh, you guys being the hot spot to now I'm the hot spot. You guys are pulling the weight for the whole country. <laughs> There's some other states in there, Arizona, <laughs> California, Texas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm content to be in New York right now. <laughs> yeah, you guys are looking good. It's like, uh, and talking to people, I'm like, my county is worse than like the entire state of new york by a couple couple times that's insane Uh, that's terrifying yeah and population density is probably way lower that's so crazy yeah even with miami being highly populated is way lower than new york still yeah well i'm glad that you're playing it safe and staying home yeah the crazy thing is like we're on month four five of this and still in new york everybody most people wear a mask most people treat it seriously even though like our numbers are going down uh i'm still pretty much staying in the house as much as i can so yeah i guess uh the new york uh, mayor and governor see what's going on in these other states and like ah maybe we shouldn't open it up yeah, uh, and the gyms got bumped from phase four. So right as of now, there's no there's no plan for gyms to reopen. <laughs> Jeez. So I'm just sitting here, literally, just waiting to figure out what the hell we're gonna do. I mean, um, maybe they can eventually move to like one-on-one scheduled sessions. Yes. So I think Equinox has like some kind of pass to do like appointment based i'm not really sure the specifics of it um but uh yeah i'm hoping eventually we can get to like appointment based or or one-on-one at least something to start uh generating money and uh also going back to work i mean uh, you know we just we're just sitting here not really not doing much i mean we're moving the gym but like our day-to-day is totally different so yeah, and I know for Hawaii, they were doing, like, those scheduled sessions at the gym. Uh, Wakaba had to, like, pick which uh, hour she wants for each day to do it, and they only allow a certain amount of people. Um, and I guess they have to, like, clean up all their own stuff. And I know down here for some of the gyms at first, they were doing it where, like, whatever, was 25% capacity. So you can only have, like, five people in the gym, and the rest of you have to wait outside. Uh, yeah. So maybe eventually you guys can go to something like that where – it's not completely packed in there and you guys can control the cleaning all the equipment afterwards. Yeah. It's tough because like the guidance on it is just lumps all the gyms in together. But, and I do agree that like, you know, there shouldn't be gyms that have a hundred people in them open right now. Um, 
or even 20 people, I think is probably too much, but you know, we're a small gym and, uh, at max capacity on like the busiest day, we probably have 20 people in there. So it's kind of tough because we're lumped in with everybody else. But as of now, the guidance is just, we're just closed, (laughs) just, just closed. That's it. Um, but it's also, you know, our numbers are good in terms of cases. So it's like, well, I can't like, uh, I don't know. It's it's very conflicting. Um, but anyway, anyway, enough, enough of the, uh, apocalypse talk. Um, to it, let's get to it. What, What are we talking about? Let's do some games talks. Uh, well, basically, I saw uh, Jacob did his uh, SNSU video on deadlift, technical mm-hmm. faults, and how to improve it and stuff. So I said, let's do a podcast episode based off of that, and let's go over our favorite variations or what we think are the best deadlift variations. Yeah. So just talking about talking about the deadlift and, and um, just different tools we use for coaching it. Um, so let's just get right into it. And... Um, you know, this is obviously subjective, but what are what are the best variations for improving technique? Uh, what would you give somebody? Um, we talk about sumo and conventional too. Yeah, we can break it up into basically technique, hypertrophy, and strength, and we can break it up into conventional sumo since there's some differences to it. Um, like you said, it is subjective. And then the other thing is we're just talking about the variations here. So obviously the first thing someone want to do is practice the actual lift and just do less weight where they can do it correctly. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why we, we have the SNS University video on all the technical faults and they can focus on that. But we're mm-hmm. just talking about the, the variation aspect. So for technique, usually if it's like a major issue, the first thing I like to do is slow thing down, slow things down. Like the thing I tell people is like, when you learn how to drive, you don't just go on the highway and start driving 70 miles per hour. You're usually like in a controlled setting, driving five miles per hour, 10 miles per hour, learning how to react to things. When you're trying to pull as fast as possible, it's very hard to react or get yourself back in place. So I like to slow things down with tempos. Yeah, I, I use a lot of tempo movements um, for technical work on both conventional and uh, sumo. Um, one version of the one version of the tempo that I really like to use to help um, newer trainees find their their start position is a. Uh, eccentric tempo touch and go i think you might have actually shown me this or we talked about it a while ago so like basically just like slowing as slow as you know i don't know three seconds down to touch the ground and then as soon as they touch the ground they they pull again um and this this is just to help reinforce where their hips should be when they start the pull uh i've had i've had pretty good success with this with people who um tend to drop their hips too low when they pull so their hips shoot up and then the bar comes up um and also i i played with this myself and i actually really like this variation yeah it, i've seen it a lot of uh equip lifters like if you go watch any of priscilla Rubik's deadlifts she basically just controls the descent and touch and goes everything and if you look at a lot of natalie hansen's deadlifts she doesn't do a touch and go but she controls it down and then she just like freezes in place wherever she brought it down gets her breath and takes the, the new rep and I know a lot of equip lifters might do the touch and go is because the suit's going to help them out of the bottom anyways. But mm-hmm. then I was like, oh, that's actually a good idea is control it down instead of just dropping it down. So you're basically reversing the motion and learning that path. And mm-hmm. then you're already in your correct starting position because you're naturally bringing it down to the right spot. So from there, you just take your new breath, get tight and go again. Right. So it, doesn't, it doesn't even have to be a touch or it doesn't have to be a bounce. 
but you can just bring it back down and then just stay tight, keep everything tight in position. Do not put, put your hips back up or anything like that. And then just start your next rep. Yeah. Yeah. I like that variation a lot. Um, pause pulls for, especially for sumo. Um, so pausing right off the floor is also, I think good for helping to enforce, um, a good start position and not rushing it. I, I know you program those for me, but I, I also program those for a lot of my athletes at pull sumo. Yeah. I like it as like one step above tempo. Cause you can do tempo on the concentric phase and do whatever three seconds or five se seconds on the concentric to really work on like maybe maintaining their back position or figuring out how to get a straight back. Um, but oftentimes when you're doing tempo on the way up or on the way up and the way down, you have to do a lot less weight. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, let's go one step above that. If they have it figured out, let's do some more weight and just pause as, as low to the ground as possible on, on the shin to kind of, again, focus on maintaining that position in that bottom position and then exploding into lockout. Yeah. And this is purely anecdotal or me just, just guessing this, but I also think it helps with sumo to teach patience in that position because a lot of times people get, you know, it's slow off the floor and then they get, they get kind of panicky and they'll try and like try and rush it by like shooting their hips up or pushing their knees in or something like that. And it, and it just kind of teaches you to be patient in this position. That's it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, a fun place to be for anybody. So, uh, it just gets you used to it. And, um, I think when, with the actual pull, it helps, it helps somebody just, uh, be comfortable in this uncomfortable position. Yeah, and I think part of the being uncomfortable with it messes with people's um, joint angles and which one's extending and, and which one's not extending. So some people might extend the knees really quick, and then you see like the hips shoot up and tip over, and then they stiff leg deadlift it. So doing that pause in both conventional and sumo right off the ground kind of teaches them to extend the hips and knees together in that beginning portion, and the, and the torso angle should be remaining the same. And then once they pass the knees, then they can focus on bringing the hips through and and up making the torso more upright. Yeah, I had a problem with that, and Jordan and you drilled that in me for months, and it and it, I got a really good correction with it. Uh, also helps to have a coach telling you if you're doing it correctly or not. <laughs> um, what other variations do you like? I don't do it as often. Um, but I put it down because I sometimes put it in there as someone who has a lot of trouble with figuring out where to set their hips and how to set their back and everything like that is doing beltless deadlifts because a lot of times the belt restricts your position. That's the whole point of it is trying to restrict that area. If people have it on really tight, then they can have more trouble controlling that area. So mm -hmm. it's okay, let's let's toss out the belt. Let's lower the weight and figure out how to do the deadlift properly first without the belt. And they can figure out how to set all those pieces, all those joints and everything. And then once they figure that out, then you can put the belt back on. Yeah. I, I really like beltless pulling, uh, specifically for conventional for sumo too. But, um, I, I feel like it helps people figure out how to set their back neutral, uh, and not rely on just pushing into the, the belt to get the tension and actually, actually creating the tension, using their body um it also it just makes it a little bit harder without actually putting weight on the bar <laughs> yeah and then then the other variation which again i do um not very often but if someone has uh a lot of technical issues especially in for example sumo they have trouble getting the proper again hip angle 
or the setting the hips correctly and then keeping the back straight is doing block pulls to limit the range of motion. Since the most difficult part of sumo is off the ground, if they're having trouble off the ground, well, let's go off of blocks and let's learn the first half first. Mm -hmm. And maybe they can figure out how to set their hips and their back and everything for the first half and then slowly work the way down and block. So I had to do that with one of my lifters is basically just we used the rubber mats and we just like kind of removed one rubber mat each week to try and get back to the ground as she was learning how to set everything properly. Yeah, I think that also helps um, teaching people a good torso angle for whatever their whatever their body is but to teach them how to get um the best torso angles as possible it's a lot harder to do right off the floor especially if you're not comfortable with it so you just make it a little bit easier and then you can you can drill that that um that position yeah um trying to think if there's anything else that i like to do for technique um one other thing I do for, I've never done this for sumo, but I've done this for some of my conventional pullers. It's kind of what we were talking about before with the um, the controlled eccentric and then the touch and go is I like to have them like hip hinge, just like s slowly get into their position, their start position, and then just grab it and go without actually like um, doing any of the, the hip setting and the bracing. So you brace at the top and then, control yourself slowly into your start position and then as soon as soon as your hands touch the bar you just pick it up obviously the weight's going to be lighter um but i use this for people that have again trouble with um setting their hips too low and also if they're sh i mean these things kind of go together but their shins going too far over the bar um and i've had some pretty good success with 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 correcting uh a start position by doing this I had Maddie do it, and she had, you know, her dead, she had a, I don't know, seventeen and a half kilos on her deadlift in a few months just by fixing this. Yeah, I guess it doesn't necessarily fall under variations, but I guess you can then vary all kinds of ways that you're going to set up to again get you in a proper position or not push the bar forward, um, all that kind of stuff. So then, yeah, you can vary if you're like someone who rolls the bar, you stop rolling the bar. If you're someone who does like a dynamic hip start, you do more of a static start. I've had some people to try and figure out where to put their feet in the bar to get it over the midfoot and to like, again, not push the bar forward is if there's some kind of line or crack or something on the floor is set the bar over that line or crack. And then you can set your feet, the middle of your foot right over that line. So then you basically have a marker to properly mm. put the bar where it's supposed to be and put your feet where they're supposed to be. And then from there, you don't move the bar. The other thing I've seen people do is maybe put like a, plate or something in front of the weights so that you can't roll it forward because it's going to hit the, the rock or the whatever it is placed on holding it forward so then yeah. you have to set up without moving the bar to again get in the proper position and not push the bar in front of the toes uh, that's good i like that one i should probably be doing that myself <laughs> <laughs> so, all kinds of things that you can scale it to how much technical improvement you need to work on so i would say like if you're really, really having trouble with that starting position and, and getting a straight back, then you might want to limit the range of motion with the blocks. You might want to do all tempos on the eccentric and concentric to really learn the movement pattern. And then once you got it down and you're trying to work on it with maybe more heavier weights, then maybe you go into that pause deadlift or, or, or a beltless deadlift. Mm. Yeah, I think we're also, just to caveat this, we're harping so much on the start position because that's usually um, where most people have technical 
uh, failure or fault. And in most cases, if you have a like a tough lockout or, or your lockout isn't very good, it, it is most likely traced back to um, just a poor start position. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the other thing that we can add in there is kind of where to program it as well, where to put it in a training day or in a training week. And again, this comes to how much improvement you need to make. But I would say if you have major issues and you need to make drastic improvements, then you can literally put this at its own day. So a lot of times, like I might have a volume squat day on day one. So then day two is technique deadlift. So day two might just be pause deadlifts. You don't do the competition deadlift. Or you may do the tempo deadlifts first, a few sets as part of your warm-up to kind of get the correct movement pattern and then go to your competition deadlift with slightly heavier weights to then reinforce that with the heavier weights. So yeah. those are the ways I like to do it for someone who has major technical issues. Yeah, I usually even even people that don't have a ton of technical issues, I like to split up uh, as it, in the off season mostly. I like to split up um, the heavy day and then like a lighter day for 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 deadlifting, and then usually the lighter day will be some kind of variation on it. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's talk about hypertrophy. So what kind of movements and variations do you like to use for hypertrophy? You know, once you get a hypertrophy, I like doing longer range of motions in general, and then maybe adjusting the, the, the movement pattern and the joint angles to maybe hit certain joints more. So for example, the one I like to give a lot is the Romanian deadlift. You can hit the hamstrings and the glutes and the spinal rectors a little bit more. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Romanians too. Um, I like to do them unilateral. Um, obviously, you can't go as heavy, but uh, any variation of it, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of. Um, just builds that back strength really well. Yeah, definitely with the hypertrophy phase too. If you have one side that's bigger than the other, usually our dominant side is bigger and stronger, then yeah, you can spend that time then doing uh, the unilateral Romanian deadlift made with dumbbells even or something like that to build up that that weaker side or the smaller side first. Yeah, people people have a real hard time with those uh, just because of balance usually. <laughs> but once you get used to them, they're, they're pretty easy. Yeah, and I know some people might do stiff leg deadlifts instead of Romanian deadlifts. Um, and there's pros and cons to each one, but I kind of like the Romanians better because the way I do them is you're maintaining constant tension. So mm -hmm. uh, again, on those hamstring boots and spinal rectors, you're maintaining constant tension, getting a little bit more stretch in the bottom uh, versus the stiff leg. I like to reset on the ground every time. So then you're kind of re releasing that tension in those muscles. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, trap bar. What do you think about the trap bar? Yeah, the <laughs> trap bar, the one the one I give to you and some of my lifters, it depends on whether they have access to the trap bar or, or the hex bar. It depends if your gym has it. So a lot of my lifters don't have access to it. But if they do, I like to give it to them. Even with the higher handle, the range of motion oftentimes can be more. And not only can the range of motion be more, but the joint angles change where you get a little bit of more of the quads in there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really good at pulling with the trap bar. <laughs> My conventional and sumo are not good, but if I my arms were like, you know, three inches longer, I'd be a great puller. <laughs> well, yeah, if you, if you use the the higher handles, it depends whether it actually changes your range of motion or not. But it's yeah, it's using your your legs more, and the bar is a little bit more over your um over your butt uh, in line with your body rather in front of your body, so that can make it easier. Yeah, it feels more like a squat than anything. They're similar yeah. to a squat. 
Yeah, which I know it's not a deadlift technically if it's more of a squat motion, but it allows you to kind of take some of that stress off the lower back, put it more on the legs and let you do more volume to get more hypertrophy with possibly a lower risk of injury. Yeah, and you uh, to that point, it, it um, when my back flares up, I can actually pull with the trap bar really easily, uh, and it, I don't have any impingement or, or or discomfort. So it's a way, it's a workaround. I think it's a pretty good workaround if you're having um, some back flare ups or back issues. Yeah, and then the other variation I give to some people sometimes, it just depends on whether they have the flexibility for it. Uh, would be the deficit deadlift. Yeah, I don't really program deficits very often. I gave them to one of my athletes recently just because we had limited equipment, but um, I, I don't know why. I just I don't use them very often. Yeah, I like to keep them, keep them in there sometimes and for smaller deficits. I know some people do some crazy deficits, and again, if you don't have the flexibility for it or maybe you're not built for deadlifts to begin with, then you could be really rounded over in the bottom, which I don't like to do. So usually I recommend the people between two to four inches of a deficit. So then they have to test it out based on what equipment they have access to and what their flexibility is. So a lot of people might fall into that two, two inches, and then some people might have the flexibility for four inches. But again, it increases that range of motion. So you're, you're working the joints and the muscles through a bigger range of motion. And also I kind of like it where it's working your grip through a longer range of motion and more time. So you have to hold on to the bar for a longer time, which can help build up the grip strength. Mm, never really thought about that. Uh, anything else for hypertrophy? I'm trying to think if there's anything else I like to do. There's there's lots of variations of these. Like again, instead of Romanian deadlifts, you could do the stiff leg deadlifts. Um, I thought about putting good mornings in here, but I don't give them that often, and and they become less and less of a deadlift variation. So kind of Romanian deadlifts and good good mornings kind of overlap, but Romanians you can go heavier on. Yeah. Uh, and then for programming, it just depends how far you're out from a competition. Again, you, you might have a day that only starts off with trap bar deadlifts or only starts off with deficit deadlifts, um, or it can be secondary. So sometimes I like to give the competition deadlift, especially if they do do a sumo, so they can continue practicing the sumo stance, and then do like Romanian deadlifts for a few sets as hypertrophy work. Yeah, I mean, in, in the off season, you can pretty much structure this however. Um, and since we're all in permanent off season, you could just do this for eternity. <laughs> and, and, and you can combine some of this stuff. So for example, you can do your first movement as technique and work on tempo deadlifts to really work on your technique. And then let's say you want to then get your volume in or hypertrophy in, then you can do something that's easier for you to learn the movement, like a trap bar deadlift. It might be easy for you to figure out the movement. So then you do that for your volume to maintain your leg strength. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but always try and prioritize the most specific movement and then put everything else after it. If you're writing your own programming or trying to structure your day. Um, all right. What about variations for improving general strength or, or just overall raw power? Yeah. So the, the biggest one I put in there is, is an overlap again, is the, the pause deadlift because it has so many benefits. And I think pausing in wherever your area of, of uh, weakness is then you're spending more time in that position and you're maintaining or focusing on maintaining your positioning in that, that weak area. And so that's going to help strengthen it. So I like doing pause deadlifts, especially for sumo, basically right off the ground. Yeah. Also increase time under tension, even if it's only a second, you know, if you do 
30 reps of those a day, 30 extra seconds of time or detention at decent weight. Um, but yeah, I agree. Uh, the pause is, is a, is a pretty good tool to, to help build that raw power. Um, again, also with the grip too, you just, you have to hold it. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> You're just sitting there. Yeah, and and the other thing is, oftentimes when I'm doing the pause deadlifts, they're part of like that that maybe that day two after the volume squat, which might be a technique day or seen as a power or dynamic or speed day, or whatever term you want to put to it. So really focusing on not only pausing in that weak area, maintaining position, but then exploding through to lockout and teaching the person how to put maximum force into the bar and build that force to a, a rate of force development. So then that can also help for strength is like them learning how to really lock out and bring those, those hips through. Yeah. I think, um, it also helps a lot. This is a technical thing again, but it just occurred to me. It, it can help a lot with the sumo pull with timing of the knee and the hip. Um, people tend to struggle with timing of lockout and, 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 um, you know, there's some nuance there to it. And uh, if you're just eliminating the start of the pull and then you're basically separating it, parsing it into two pieces, um, you could just focus on figuring out how to time the knees and the hips, which is kind of what you were just saying. But, uh, yeah, I like that a lot for that purpose. Yeah, and and just jumping ahead a little bit to programming because the pause can be difficult and it can be straining on the back and we're working on explosiveness sometimes, I do like to keep the reps lower. So it might be like the one to four rep range for pause deadlifts. I'm not doing like sets of 10 or 12 or anything crazy like that. Who the hell programs sets of 10 or 12 on any, <laughs> any fucking deadlift? If you ever gave me that, I would just delete the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> you go back and ask Jordan for programming. Yeah, go back to Jordan. I just gave Jesse sets of seven, and she's like freaking out about it because I don't think I've ever made her do that many reps <laughs> deadlifts. Yeah, so I like to keep the reps slow and maybe just throw in more sets so they can just practice everything more. So it might be like four sets of three, five sets of two, maybe for someone who can really handle it, four sets of four, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I subscribe to that as well. Um, what else we got? We got blocks again, which is we, – we talked about that before. But for, for improving strength, you, you like to use blocks. Yeah, and I, and I feel it helps more for sumo pullers as far as an overload because as soon as you take that hardest part off the ground, if you do like a two-inch block even, it's going to make it so much easier. If you start doing like a three- or four-inch block, it's going to make it a lot easier. So then the lifter can work on – overloading if they want to get comfortable with heavier weights if they want to work on their grip with heavier weights they just want to work on their lockout if they have lockout issues that blocks allow you to do that and it can also allow you to maybe get more volume in without doing the strenuous uh, bottom position yeah yeah i think you gave me those going into that last meet i really liked i really liked using them saved my my back and hips a bunch too yeah for for conventional it's difficult to be able to get an overload with blocks uh, oftentimes i find out like even on a two inch or four inch block people do less than off the ground because they don't have that as much knee extension they're taking basically their legs out of it so it could be used as more of just like mimicking a stiff leg or romaining kind of like taking some of the knee extension out of it unless you want to go really hot high like maybe at the kneecap or above the kneecap to try and get an overload yeah what about accommodating resistance? <laughs> with with some of these exercises, and then also with bands or chains or anything like that, 
it's all about what the person has access to. So yeah. oftentimes, especially in previous years where there was less powerlifting gyms and less powerlifting equipment at gyms, we didn't have access to blocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when I used to do block pulls, I used to just get the CrossFit bumper plates and mm-hmm. stack my weights on top of those and hope I didn't destroy their bumper plates. So it could be hard for someone to set up a deficit deadlift or a block deadlift or use bands and chains if they don't have access to it. Um, right. Some of my lifters have access to bands because the gym has it, or they're actually pretty cheap now to buy online off of like Elite FTS or Amazon or something like that. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I like to use that as the the deadlift day after the volume squats, again, as a technique or explosive day, is the bands just let some tension uh, at the top to let them to continue to pull because the weight's obviously easier. So if they're doing a lighter weight, then they might slow down on purpose at lockout so that they don't just freaking lift the bar up into the air. Uh, maybe do a clean or something instead. So <laughs> the the bands kind of help slow them down a little bit as far as bar speed at the top, so they continue to apply a maximum force. And actually, I think it also, depending on how much band tension you use, can again help with the grip because the band's literally trying to pull the bar out of your hand, and it's getting harder and harder as you go up. So for someone who has issues with like mixed grip or even hook grip, it can really help. Mm. I never thought of that. That's pretty interesting. We have to start giving people banded deadlifts. <laughs> just, um, just do max, max band tension at the top, see how much the grip can hold. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's going to be the new competition. Just <laughs> how much tension can we put? Um, and uh, opposite stance. So we, we didn't really talk about this. So, so pulling um, in whatever you don't do for competition, right? Yeah, some people have mentioned that, okay, I'm a sumo puller and I did a cycle of conventional and my sumo pull went up, went up. or again, the other way, I'm a conventional puller, I did a round of sumo and my conventional went up. So sometimes doing the opposite stance can help, especially like as a one-time thing since you get like more out of a new movement than continue to do it. So maybe if your deadlift is kind of stagnant and you never do the opposite stance, doing a cycle where you're putting in the opposite stance will build up different positions and maybe different muscles that you're not hitting in your, your competition stance. And then you'll get a, a nice jump in your deadlift max. Mm. Does that mean you're going to give me sumo pulls again, next block? <laughs> I don't know. You keep changing whatever I give you. No, that's not true. I just did the conventional. I just wanted to try it. I think I'm over like, it though. You're like, I'm not doing trap bar. I'm going to do conventional. I think I'm, I think I'm done with it. I, I've, I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> then the other thing that's, I guess you can say is somewhat related to strength, but it's not a direct relation, but I still put in there is if someone can't handle the amount of frequency or volume of doing one stance. So sometimes you might give someone two times sumo deadlift and they can handle it. Then you try and go to three times sumo deadlift and their hips just can't handle it. So if you bring in that opposite stance for one of those days, then their hips can handle all the deadlift work. Yeah. Just a little bit of a change up. Also, I think um, for people who have been, competing for a long time um it, it's kind of fun to just just to do something different uh people do get bored and um you know if you're just comp squatting comp benching comp deadlifting for months and months and months there's uh i've definitely noticed that people tend to get a little burn out there yeah and then for for programming i mean you can put it really in either spot i tend to put the if there's like a volume deadlift day and a strength deadlift day I'll put the opposite stance in the volume deadlift day, especially if like, let's say they try and do 
volume conventional deadlifts, but it always like tweaks their back. We'll mm -hmm. then do volume sumo day with lighter weights and just work on that. And then for your strength day, still do your competition deadlifts. So you're really focusing on, on strength for that. Yeah. Um, what else? Anything else for strength? I'm trying to think. The rest of the stuff that I can think of, all I just threw into our last category, which is accessory work, because I wouldn't consider them a deadlift variation, but they do help the deadlift. So th those are my my top variations that I'm always giving, especially yeah. like the the tempos, the pauses, the Romanians are probably the top ones, and then yeah. below that might be like the trap bar if they have access to it, maybe opposite stance if they have issues with one stance. And, and below that might be like the belt list or the blocks that they really have issues with their technique. So those right. are like the, the main things I'm always giving, especially since, like we said, we always want to be practicing your competition lift. So that's still taking a lot of the time and the protocols in the programming. Right. I think if people have been listening to this podcast long enough, they can probably guess that everything we talk about is tempoing a movement. <laughs> Anytime we want, we want to make a technical correction, just tempo it. Uh, but there's a reason why we both subscribe to that. Um, yeah, when you're when you're dealing with beginners and even intermediates, there you have to basically think of them as like if if you were a human, not talking about lifting, but just growing up, you're in the baby phase. You're you're a toddler, or, or you're maybe like whatever five years old or four years old. If you're brand new to the sport, so when you're that old, it's all about yeah, taking your time with things and, and learning things slowly and building yourself up. And basically protecting them from like major uh, injury or disasters. Yeah, I even think for advanced lifters or people who've been doing it for a long time, there's there's huge benefit to it, um, especially if you you're having some technical problems. But that's uh, we've I feel like I feel like we're so redundant with that, but we just hammer that point all the time. But but it, it's worth talking about um, because it's such a such a good tool, uh, and I think it's overlooked a lot of times. Yeah, and, I, and then it comes a case of like our sport is still pretty new compared to other professional sports out there, and there's not a lot of people in it. So you could be an elite lifter, but not be an advanced lifter as far as like time under the bar. So you might be an elite lifter and still working on technical issues. So the technique still, stuff still becomes part of the programming. And right. the other thing can just be uh, fatigue management. As we said, a lot of this stuff is going to be with lighter weights. And so it just helps the body recover for one of those sessions so that they can then push it harder on the other session. Yeah. Kind of like an active recovery session. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So you mentioned accessory work, stuff that doesn't really fall into these categories. What, um, what are your favorites for this? Yeah, let's get to that. Bodybuilding, yeah. the bodybuilding stuff, yeah. So the the main thing I like to put in there is back work because obviously the back work will help with deadlifts, but it also helps countering all, all the bench work. So putting programming in the back work is important for both those exercises. And I personally like to break it up into the vertical direction and the horizontal direction. So I give them specific days where they might be doing one of them or they might be doing both of them. And for people who don't know, like a vertical pull, there's basically two main ones. It's a pull-up or a lap pull-down. So mm -hmm. if you can handle body weight or you have access to bands like that, then you can do pull-ups or chin-ups and do all different variations. And if you don't have the strength for it, but you have access to a lap pull-down machine, then again, you can do lap pull-down with all different variations to work on the vertical plane. Mm -hmm. And then a horizontal plane, you have a lot more options because you can do any kind of row with a barbell or dumbbell or cable or inverted row with your body weight. So there's like all kinds of stuff you can do in the, in the horizontal pull. Yeah. The, 
my my favorite for that is the uh, our lap pull down has the seated rower, so you just like load it up and and row horizontally. I love doing those. Yeah, and then and then and then again with all of these, you can vary the tempo. You can do one arm if you have one side that's weaker than the other. You can do both arms. You can do pauses at the contraction point. Um, but the main thing or the main concept for the beginners and even intermediates is just doing something, being mm -hmm. consistent. So I tell my lifters like they say, oh, which exercise should I do or how often should I change up the exercise? I'm like, do whatever you have access to and you enjoy doing. And whenever you get bored of it, switch it out. If you want to switch up every two weeks or every four weeks, switch up to another exercise, progress in that a little bit. And then maybe after a month, come back to the first exercise and see if you can get stronger at that. Or if you want to do the cable row and there's someone already there working on the cable row, go do something else. Go do a dumbbell row. Get Just get the work done. Yeah, just just row. Just do some kind of row. <laughs> but I, I do the same thing with programming. Tons of rowing. But yeah, but in general, again, for vertical pulls, I like the, the pull-ups because you're using your body weight. So if you're capable of having the strength, then you do that. If not, you do a lat pull-down. And then for horizontal pulls, I usually like, yeah, the, the cable row or maybe dumbbell rows. I, I used to do a lot of barbell rows, but I'm not necessarily a fan of it just because uh, it puts a lot of stress in your lower back. And I used mm -hmm. to be a low bar squatter and a conventional deadlifter. So it's already a lot of stress in my lower back. So like by day four of my training week, and then it's like the last exercise I'm twin, trying to do a barbell rows. It, like my, my lower back would just be like sore and pumped up and stuff. And I just didn't want to do it. So I'd rather just like sit down or lay down and do the back work. Yeah. And people, people put a ton of body English into the, the barbell rows too usually loaded up heavier than they should be, um, which has its purpose, but it's not really what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, with, with all these variations, I like to yeah, focus on the better technique, you know, if it's lighter weight and maybe going a little bit slower with the descent. And then sometimes if you want to vary it up or maybe try some heavier weights, well, then maybe do a little bit heavier weights where you're trying to pull a little bit more, but not going too crazy because a lot of people start like, pushing their shoulders forward and doing all kinds of weird stuff, which may lead to like hurting something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what else? You got the belt squat on here. You like to, yeah. you like to use that for a deadlift accessory. There's uh, that's like the, the new trend right now is, uh, is belt squats. Everyone's doing it and people have more access to it. So I know some of my lifters do want to try it out. They're like, Oh, let me go. I want to try out this machine and stuff like that. So I put it in there. Yeah, it, it is. It is a squat and it does help out the squat, but I think, it can also help out the deadlift because again, you're building up the legs. So if you're mm -hmm. building up your quads without stressing your lower back, then that can help you for like uh, for a conventional or sumo deadlift. And then the other thing is you can also, depending on the foot plate is adjust your stance width. So mm -hmm. maybe you can try going a little bit wider and make it a little bit more of a sumo stance and may build up the, the, that position of your sumo stance a little bit more. Mm. Never really thought about that. That's interesting. Um, and then my favorite is unilateral work. <laughs> well, I'm glad I threw that in for you. Literally every single program I've ever written has a pretty good amount of unilateral work. What are um, some of the ones you like to throw in there? Uh, I like the, the single leg Romanians. Usually what people do with dumbbell or barbell doesn't really matter. The single leg Bulgarians um, box step-ups, step so like single leg box step-ups. Uh, if you could do them weighted or just even just body weight, um, those are the top three that I, I usually give for lower body. Oh, we got, we got some overlap in there because for unilateral work, I usually give 
three knee extension movements. Mm-hmm. Bulgarian split squats, lunges, and step-ups. Yeah, step-ups are good. Step-ups are an underrated movement, I would, yeah, I would say. Yeah, I know everyone's a big fan of the Bulgarian split squats, and there's a lot of benefits to them, so I give them a lot. But sometimes people just get bored of them. So then yeah. it's like, okay, let's switch to walking lunges. And then they might get bored of that, or maybe they don't have a lot of space to do walking lunges. They're doing stationary, and it gets boring. Okay, let's do weighted step-ups. And then I just kind of rotate them around. Yeah. I actually like the I like the step up a lot because it has if you put the box high enough it has um a pretty similar knee and hip extension to to squatting um it, it feels at least when you do it it kind of feels somewhat similar to actually squatting and they're, they're so challenging if you've never done them before um so I, I don't know I, I I and they're fun I think people like them because they're just something fun to do but yeah I, I give those a lot yeah, and I think there's a little bit of a benefits to that over like a Bulgarian split squat because a Bulgarian, depending on how you start your initial rep, it might be from the bottom, but each other rep is going to start with the eccentric phase. You're going to load up the muscles, and then you're going to do your your split squat, kind of like a Romanian deadlift. Whereas the step up, you have to put your leg up there unloaded and then come up from a dead stop, kind of like the stiff leg deadlift. So yeah. there's some benefits there to having to apply that force and extend the knee from a dead stop and yeah you're in that deep squat position depending on where you set up your box so you have to then do your step up from a dead position and a difficult joint angle yeah they're they're fucking hard <laughs> and, and and depending on how high the person sets up their box and what their strength is they'll realize the first time it is pretty hard and they might naturally put the other foot on the box really quick to then try yeah. and help push with both legs yeah yeah, so I if I give these to people, I make I like drill it in them that they have to fully lock their knee and hip before they can put the other foot on the box. <laughs> yeah, and I and I guess depending on how good your balance is and what kind of weight you have, you could do your step up with let's say you you put your right foot on there and you step up and never put your left foot on the box just to be sure. You stand all the way up with your right foot and yeah. then you just go back down and put your left foot back on the down on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's how I I do it when I do them for myself. I just stand up and then go back down. I used to do them also with um, con- like a tempoed um, tempoed eccentric when I was trying to like rehab my back like a long time ago. The first time I messed my back up, I would do them with re- uh, controlled eccentrics. It's so hard, but it's just extra time under tension um, without stressing your lower back or, or or like loading the joints too much. Yeah. And then for the, the unilateral Romanians, I don't give them often. Maybe like I've given up to a couple clients here and there over the years. Uh, one of my lifters, Tim Mercer, has it in there a lot as part of his rehab work that his PT gave to him. And so we just kind of keep those in there all the time. Yeah. And I do know that when people do come back from knee injuries and surgery and stuff like that, it, oftentimes it is part of that uh, PT work of that like stabilizing and figuring out the balance. Uh, where they have to go into that hip hinge movement and basically do a Romanian deadlift and then come back up while mm-hmm. staying on one foot. So it can help for a lot of people. And I've tried it uh, recently just in my room, my body weight, just to kind of do a Romanian deadlift, that hip hinge with, let's say, my left foot and have my right foot kind of go back and come back forward with never touching the ground. And it's really difficult to try and do that for a few <laughs> reps. And then like within an hour or two, I'm feeling sore in all kinds of parts of my hip and my knee just because my body's not used to that. Yeah, they're, dude, they're so hard. But um, similarly, I, I was originally programmed those when I injured my back the first time, and, and I um, 
I really liked, I like them as like a prehab tool if you subscribe to that notion, but yeah, just, um, just, just working different, different positions that you're not used to training balance. Um, you have to be more conscious of how you extend your knee or where your knee is going and where your hip is going, as opposed to like the movements that we we do normally. Um, so yeah, that's why I give them pretty often. Yeah. And this isn't related to deadlifts, but there are some benefits also for squat that I've noticed. And I've seen other people, other coaches out there talking about it is that movement can help with figuring out how to push through the entire foot and not letting the ankle collapse. So learning how to stay on, let's say your left foot and push through the big toe, the little toe through the heel, and then move through a range of motion. In this case, a hip hinge and being able to maintain that arch in your foot and maintain your knee out can then help with reinforcing that for squat and not having the, the knee cave in. There may be something to that as well with the sumo deadlifts and some people's knees do cave in with the sumo deadlift as well. Mm, that's interesting. I never thought of that. Yeah. So a, a tool, um, or like a, a piece of guidance I give when I give these to people for the first time is I t try and tell them to make sure their knee tracks directly over the toe and to not let it cave or go or, or go on, uh, you know, outside of the foot. And I think this helps. Yeah. Like with what you just said in enforcing that for squatting and then even for, for sumo pulling, even for conventional maybe, because I, sometimes you see people's knee, knees cave unconventional too. Yeah, there are there are some people I've seen in convention where their their knees kind of like touch as they're uh, as they're starting their pull. Yeah, so there are some people out there, and it might help. And and same thing with the Bulgarian split squats. It's important to be mindful of where your foot is pointing to, and then where your knee is, because some people might point their feet out really far out to the side, like a sumo deadlift or a squat, and then their knees caved in, just because they are trying to basically change their position. So you want to try and focus more on having the the, the foot pointing straight and then the knee trying to stay in line with the toes. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Anything else you want to talk about? Any other deadlift tidbits? No, I think that's the, the most important stuff. If, again, well, we can put the link as well in the description as to the SNSU video. So you can go watch Jacob's video, breaking down the competition deadlifts and all the technical faults for it. And then you can, come and listen to this and learn about all the Della variations. And I think that pretty much covers everything that someone would need to know to basically program for whatever issues they have in their deadlift. Yeah. And Jacob is a really good conventional puller and a really good conventional sumo puller. So he's, uh, and he loves deadlifting. So his, his lecture is, is definitely got some, some, uh, nuggets of information in there that are worth hearing. Yeah. So, that's why I want to put this out now and hopefully people go in and watch both so they can kind of put it together as a package so they can go see what issues they have and then they can listen to this and figure out what exercises to put in to fix that issue. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of information to get you pulling big real soon. Yeah. <laughs> but that's pretty much it. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Um, you know where to find us. Give a like and a share if you enjoyed this and make it nice.